This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. The Senate passed several bills Wednesday morning to address issues surrounding child protective and social services in the state. Chris Schultz has more. Last week, Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, stood on the floor of the Senate to voice his support of the foster care ombudsman bill and express concern for the lack of child protective service workers in the eastern panhandle. Just a week later, the Senate passed Senate Bill 273, a bill aimed at better allocating child protective workers based upon county population and average caseload over the past three calendar years. Trump rose again to thank his colleagues for their work on the issue. I wanted to take a moment to thank the Chairman of Finance and the Finance Committee and the Chairman of Health uh, and the Health Committee for their work on this measure. This is a bill that is designed to help solve some of the problems we've had with DHHR. I think it's a, a good effort and uh, I urge passage of the bill. Trump also presented Senate Bill 621 to the chamber which would amend the state code to require the sheriff to serve abuse and neglect petitions and notices of a preliminary hearing without compensation. The sheriff is the officer uh, in county government that has statutory authority to serve process and papers for the court. And that's what this bill does, it just makes clear that the sheriff of each county will serve those petitions without any additional uh, compensation for serving them petitions and the orders. Last week, while discussing Senate Bill 621, the Senate Judiciary Committee was told that county sheriffs in Kanawha and Marion counties do not deliver petitions and orders in abuse and neglect cases, often leaving unarmed child protective service workers to deliver the court correspondence instead. The bill would also require petitions to be delivered by certified mail in the case that they cannot be delivered in person by a sheriff. Senator Mike Wolfel, a Democrat from Cabell County, spoke in favor of both Senate Bill 621 and Senate Bill 630, which would create an offense of knowingly and willfully obstructing social service workers or home incarceration supervisors, causing their death. It's fairly pathetic that we just finished up Senate Bill 621. We had to pass legislation to make a couple of counties, sheriff's department, go serve these petitions um, for child neglect and abuse uh, when the social workers are actually armed with a 
legal pad or a laptop going into these homes. So we, we just passed Senate Bill 621, which will make the sheriffs of those two counties go do that. Which brings me to this bill, 630. Wolf will discuss the murder of social worker Brenda Lee Yeager, who was killed in 2008 while out on a wellness check for an infant. In that situation, those people went to prison for murder. But even under the circumstances contemplated by Senate Bill 630, somebody could receive life in prison through the accidental death caused by their obstruction and urge adoption passage. All three bills passed the Senate unanimously and now head to the House of Delegates for their consideration. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. The first of two bills aimed at restructuring the Department of Health and Human Resources completed legislative activity today. The DHHR has been beset by controversies in recent years and lawmakers have argued that the department's broad mandate constituting a multi-billion dollar budget is simply too unwieldy for a single department to properly manage. By a vote of 33 to 1, the Senate passed House Bill 2006. Senator Mike Computo, a Democrat of Marion County, was the only vote against the legislation. The bill would terminate the DHHR beginning January 1, 2024, and instead create three departments, the Department of Human Services, the Department of Health, and the Department of Health Facilities. The bill now goes to Governor Jim Justice for his signature. A similar Senate bill, 126, currently resides in the House Health and Human Resources Committee. Thoughts that Senate, House, and Executive Branch leadership were working toward a tax reform compromise got a shakeup on the House floor today. Details in a fiscal note from the State Tax and Revenue Department on the multifaceted Senate tax reform plan would see a total cost of around $740 million instead of the $600 million the Senate projected as the cost. The note also mentions several problematic references, definitions, and other inconsistencies in the bill wording and methodology. Delegate Marty Gearhart, a Republican from Mercer County, says on the House floor he's not prepared to endorse a Senate plan containing the same property tax relief elements similar to the failed Amendment 2. Doesn't mean I'm not confused and maybe a little upset that we can't get past the fact that something that we placed on the ballot, something that I advocated for, something that I voted for, didn't pass. I did all of those. I voted for Amendment 2. You can look at my Facebook page. I advocated for it. People have asked me for months and months and months what was I going to do and why, and I explained to them why I would vote in favor of it. However, didn't pass. Didn't pass. We got two and a half weeks to provide relief to West Virginians. We got two and a half weeks to see to it that they pay less tax. Beyond my confusion, let's find a way to get it done. Some delegates say the slow-moving tax reform issue is holding up other things lawmakers need to do, like funding $85 million for safe schools to change the security entries at schools statewide. There's a House bill pending that would divert the lion's share of $500 million in federal COVID-19 relief funds from general economic development to specific and local poverty-fighting projects. Randy Yowie has that story. 
House Bill 3545 would have lawmakers consider creating the American Rescue Plan Low-Income Assistance Program. Their proposal moves $300 million from the Governor's General Economic Development Fund creation proposal and parcels out the relief funds to counties and municipalities based on the percentage share of families and individuals living below the poverty line. Delegate Larry Rowe, a Democrat from Kanawha County, said on the House floor that community leaders and taxpayers want to spend their money in their own districts, in their own areas when possible, gaining local control. You give money, $300 million, out to the, to the counties and municipalities based on the number of, of persons who live below the poverty line. And they're not just limited to services for those folks, but they could, they could demolish houses, they could do so many things. Most every county gets at least a million dollars or almost a million dollars. Uh, and some of the larger counties get very substantial sums. You could build uh, recreational facilities, uh, swimming pools, all kinds of things. I think probably could fit under the rubric that the, the federal government put out in the ARPA money uh, that was given. An alternative proposal would amend the governor's supplemental appropriation bill, House Bill 2883, to divide the $500 million equally among each of the legislative districts and allow each legislator to work with their local elected officials and constituents to identify projects to be funded in their respective districts. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. As Randy was just discussing, large budget surpluses in recent years have raised questions of what to do with that money. One thought is to use a large portion of it for economic development projects, enticing companies to set up shop here. Another school of thought is to invest the money in poverty programs and bring the poorest West Virginians up a bit. Reporter Chris Schill speaks with Mitch Carmichael, Secretary of West Virginia Department of Economic Development, and Reverend Matthew Watts from the Tuesday Morning Group. Thank you, Bob. Secretary Mitch Carmichael and Reverend Matthew Watts, thank you both so much for being on the legislature today with us. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. So economic development is the talk of, at the very least, this town, I, I would argue possibly the state at the moment, and uh, we're talking about some big numbers. I mean, um, at least one bill that's being discussed in the House right now has some $500 million coming to your department. Uh, I'm curious to know, what are your plans uh, for that money, Secretary? Well, I... Uh I'll say it like, I'll answer that question in this way, what we've done with it in the past. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway committed to West Virginia, Nucor, uh, the big steel manufacturer committed to West Virginia, Commercial Metals Company, Pure Watercraft, Form Energy, all these technology companies, all these world-class companies that are providing great jobs for West Virginians have been, we've utilized that type of funding uh, to attract those companies. So it's something that's done on a, uh, a national and an international basis, frankly, to utilize funds that protect West Virginians while providing uh, world-class jobs and employment opportunities for our citizens. And now, it, it's certainly very exciting to hear the names of all these companies, these multinationals in the case of Berkshire Hathaway, deciding to come to West Virginia in what I would call maybe traditional economic development. Uh, Reverend Watts, you have advocated for a slightly different approach. Well, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I concur with a lot of what Secretary Carmichael said, and his office is doing an incredible job attracting businesses and jobs to West Virginia, and I think those were wise investments that were made. But I think it's now time to, uh, to pivot a bit and invest in the people. I don't think it's either or. I think it's this and. It's people development and it's economic development, jobs creation. You know, people invented the wheel. People invented the, uh, the, the uh, carriage. They, invented, they built the factories and the manufacturing plants. It's the people. And I think we have an opportunity to 
invest in our people, particularly to increase labor force participation, which I believe to be our number one economic challenge. We perennially have the lowest labor force participation rate in the nation. We have an education crisis right now, uh, deepest decline in our national assessment of education progress test scores, uh, standardized test scores still below pre-COVID levels, 32,000 student schools suspensions a year. We've got to focus on investing in the people in the places where they live. And that's where we've advocated for $300 million of the remaining American Rescue Plan Act dollars to go toward investing in some of those enumerated projects, categories that's actually delineated in the federal statute. So Secretary, you know, we just heard uh, Reverend Watts tell us a little bit about, you know, some things that could boost West Virginia's social capital. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that your department is looking at right now? Absolutely. I think uh, Reverend Watts does a great job. He and I have worked together for years to try to advance uh, West Virginia, our people and our culture and our values. And uh, he's a thousand percent right. I've been through all these education wars and to make sure that uh, it is a responsibility of this state and of this generation to educate the next generation for world-class jobs and opportunities in our state. And to the extent that we can raise our uh, labor force participation rates uh, and get more people actively involved in seeking great employment opportunities, I think it helps not only our school systems, but our social programs and our entire fabric of our society when we have people working in great jobs. So Reverend Watts, you know, we're hearing the secretary here say that that's definitely a priority and a necessity. So why do you feel that it's necessary to allocate, I believe the number is $300 million directly to uh, what you're proposing? If I had my other druthers, it'd be the whole 500 million, but hey, I'm trying to be fair and just <laughs> and equitable in the allocation of these resources. The reason it's so important is because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. As Naomi Klein wrote in her book, The Shock Jock Doctrine, it's during crisis when you can do big things because the government responds in an unprecedented way. So the $1.25 billion in CARES Act dollars, over $4 billion in, uh, in the uh, opera dollars that's come to West Virginia, unprecedented response from the federal government. So we have this unique opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity, to do some strategic investments in some of the areas that the Secretary articulated. Uh, we're calling for significant dollars to be invested in summer job programs for youth that are academically behind, and many of our young people were before COVID, they're falling further behind now. We have an opportunity to put them in academic enrichment programs and also to give them work experience that I had the benefit of participating when I was a young kid growing up in Southern West Virginia. I have an opportunity to invest strategically in communities to try to stabilize and strengthen families because at the end of the day, families are still the Gibraltar, they're the cornerstone of our communities, and they're the children's uh, first educators. We have the, one of the highest uh, home ownership rates in the nation. We have some of the poorest housing, and that's why these floods occur, millions of dollars are lost in property. So there's legislation that the Secretary worked on when he was in the legislature, Neighborhood Housing Economic Stabilization Bill. We could invest strategically in improving the housing stock. So what my little group are suggesting is that the federal government is a stroke of genius. They said this pandemic creates an opportunity for us to target significant dollars to every state, and we're gonna give the states the flexibility to actually be the prioritize. We're gonna give them some real strong guidance. So if you look at the enumerated project categories in the Federal American Rescue Plan Act legislation, you'll find they detail a lot of projects specifically to invest in the people. And if we don't do it now, then we won't ever do it. And we have all these, what I call them, the COVID children. Uh, one last point I'll make, in the 21-21 school year that just ended, 
only 46% of the high school graduates went on to post-secondary education. That's the lowest it's been before 2000. Only 31% of low-income children. That prompted from uh, Dr. Sarah Sue Tucker said, we have a crisis here, because we already have the lowest percentage of our people in any state that has a high school, I mean a college degree. So that's why I think it's so important to seize this moment to invest strategically in communities and in the people that are there so they can help drive the economic development projects that we already have going with roads to prosperity, infrastructure, build back better, but we still have a people shortage problem and it's manifested in our low labor force participation rate. Secretary, I mean, Reverend Watts laid out quite a lot for us there. What's your reaction? Well, again, I have enormous respect for uh, Matthew Watts, and uh, we've been friends for a long time, and we agree on this, that uh, I think every problem that he uh, enumerated and articulated is made worse if one doesn't have a job. And so uh, our role in the uh, Office of Economic Development is to create opportunity, to create jobs, to bring world-class companies to West Virginia so that the people can have the option of an employment uh, and a career path. And one of the things that I'll say I'm very proud of in West Virginia is that we provide, you know, to get people into the labor force and to give them a skill set free community and technical college education in our state. We're one of a very few states that do that. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for people to get a skill set, to know that there is opportunities that now exist in West Virginia. And we do need to invest in our people and to make sure that they have opportunities and to make sure that they're uh, equipped to go uh, fill those opportunities and to lift this uh, you know, ship of state higher and, and, and uh, you know, provide uh, great family structure for our communities and our society. So we 100% agree on that. Well, that, that's wonderful, and, and, and I do appreciate focusing on the positives. I mean, we certainly know that West Virginia needs more of that. However, there's no denying some of the numbers that Reverend Watts has brought up, you know, the lowest, the second lowest, actually, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, college going rate in the country, um, you know, poor results on the, on the NAEP uh, test. You obviously have not had a difficult time selling the state in the last couple of years to investors, but education and education rate are things that we know these companies are looking at. Does that concern you moving forward? Yes. I mean, my history in the, the legislature is one of education, uh, opportunity, reform, and to drive success into our uh, education system. So we 100% agree with that. A, a world-class education gives people options and opportunities that don't exist uh, unless you have that uh, uh, basis of a great education. So we are all about lifetime learners uh, to provide opportunities for our citizens. And, uh, you know, we are able to market to the greater uh, audience the advantages and the value proposition of West Virginia and it's people like Matthew Watts that help us uh, stay grounded and to bring uh, the the those communities along and to provide those opportunities for them I feel like we're, we're, we're almost splitting an atom here you know because we're talking about the same thing just from different sides sure. you know you you and your department are coming in and creating opportunities and what Reverend Watts is proposing is just helping people get more prepared for those opportunities. Do I have that right? You, you have it accurate. That's it. Yeah, okay. I agree. It's two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. Now, Reverend Watts, one of the things that I heard you mention there was was the family structure. I mean, about as local as you can get. And and just today, Delegate Rowe in the House was talking about you know people want local control over these development projects, over the preparation for them. Um, I, I'm curious, and, and I'll leave this open to both of you. But how does that work uh, into 
these much larger projects that you both are proposing? Well, if I could go first, mm -hmm. the, the ones that I'm proposing, uh, we're encouraging uh, the legislature to actually follow the Federal American Rescue Plan Act statute. Uh, and then follow the plan that the governor's office actually prepared and released. And in the West Virginia American Rescue Plan Act that the governor's office produced, it said that the legislatures were supposed to convene meetings with their constituents and to get input on the type of projects they thought would have the most impact in moving those communities forward and bring those projects back to the legislature to be vetted and to be basically uh, sized up as to which one would be funded, and the governor was to send out uh, a representative his office to do the same thing to get input from the governor's office. We think that was a great plan, but it didn't really happen. The legislature didn't have these conversations. The governor's office have not compiled the report back, yet we got a budget saying allocate $500 million for general economic development, which according to the federal statutes, general economic development is not an allowable line item, and it's clearly in, in 2.7. We believe if the legislators actually would have these conversations uh, with their constituents, they would help them to identify the projects along with the local elected officials, and the people would really be, would buy into it. And I close by saying this, the legislatures could befriend themselves to their constituents for a lifetime. If they came back to their communities and said, we have X number of dollars, right? Uh, and we together collectively going to identify where do we get the maximum return on investing these, these projects. The people have had a say, and then the people have a, a responsibility to support those projects that are implemented. So I think that's how it still can work. It's still time to follow the plan that the governor's office compiled and released, uh, and the legislature could, could go back home after allocating this money as we've allocated, I suggested 300 million be, to be allocated, to back to the local municipalities based on the percentage of poor people in those municipalities of West Virginia's overall population of poor people. Uh, and so you look at a county, for example, like uh, Berkeley County, which a lot of people don't think about because it's so affluent, but it has a large percentage of poor people. So Berkeley County would get probably excess of $15 million that would go to that county. But each county would get a part of money and they'd have the opportunity actually surgically look at where do we invest these and what type of programs are going to have the maximum return in helping us to build the people and build the places where they live. So Secretary, I mean, what role does local control play in, in your department's uh, development? Yeah, I, I think it's essential and uh, I think we're basically talking about, again, two sides <laughs> of the same coin because, and it's, it's sort of like which is first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, the the local economic development, local communities definitely have such a vital role in our efforts to promote their uh, areas for jobs and investment. When some of these projects get so large and the scale becomes so big, uh, you know, $15 million to a local county will not get a Nucor or a Berkshire Hathaway or some of those major, major, major projects. And so, uh, we are very much focused on attracting, uh, you know, sort of game-changing uh, uh, companies to West Virginia that can absolutely lift this area for, uh, to aspire to greater, bigger things. I mean, this state for so long has been, uh, you know, poor, 
low workforce participation, high percentage of people in welfare, low job uh, numbers and so forth. And now we're changing that dynamic. And it's, uh, at, we need the local levels to engage, to make sure that we fulfill those opportunities so that these companies that we're bringing here will take it, that message to the world and say, West Virginia is the place to come and do business. We've got great local engagement. We've got uh, support at the state level and uh, we're able to, uh, you know, to provide great, meaningful jobs for our citizens. So I look forward to working with Matthew. I'll Absolutely. extend my Absolutely. hand. We always, <laughs> always do. And, uh, and to, to do uh, economic development that changes West Virginia while keeping that local engagement and the community's input. He's right. Excellent. Now, um, I do want to go back to something that, that Reverend Watts said. Uh, you know, you discussed there meeting with constituents as being one of the American Rescue Plan requirements. Another requirement, uh, if, if I understand correctly, and, and, and I will admit that I have not sat down and, and read every page of, of the requirements for the money, but if I understand correctly, economic development is explicitly not allowed uh, for ARPA funds. Are you at all concerned that this appropriation that we're seeing working its way through the House could potentially get clawed back either partially or fully by the federal government? Well, that is not my role. Uh, my role is to take the uh, resources that we have been provided and go make hay with it and uh, get to go uh, create jobs and opportunities for our citizens. And so uh, th that's my focus and uh, you know I had a different focus in a previous uh, you know role here at the state but my focus now is uh, to trust I trust the people who are evaluating these uh, expenditures of dollars with input from uh, Reverend Watts and uh, from uh, the people that analyze the funding streams to, to that they're coming in their correct manner and once we get them we're going to we're going to put them to use well, gentlemen, I really appreciate this conversation, two sides of the same coin, as, as we were saying earlier, chicken before the egg, perhaps. Uh, but that's actually all the time we have. Um, and and I, you know, I'm sure that we could have kept going for many, many yeah, more hours. But I want to thank you both for being on the legislature today with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing where this all ends up. Thanks. Bob, back to you. Thanks for that, Chris. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily on our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a good evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by... West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.